This is the EPLOG audio experience. Hi, this is Kunal Kapoor and I'm the host for Podcast MD by Keto. Before we get into it, let me tell you how Podcast MD by Keto came about. As most of you may know, I'm also one of the founders of Keto, one of the country's leading crowdfunding platforms. Medical crowdfunding has been one of the biggest causes for us at Keto. Over 500 crores have been raised to successfully fund urgent medical cases and save lives. But sadly, the number of people in India not able to afford healthcare has only been rising. And so we've increased our focus on healthcare to make it more accessible and affordable. While being unable to secure funds for treatment is obviously one of the biggest concerns for both patient and their family. We found there were gaps beyond as well. When someone is suddenly hit with a serious medical condition, there's so much one isn't prepared for. One may or may not be prepared to handle the finances, but everything else that comes with it, one certainly isn't prepared for. And that's what Podcast MD by Keto is about. Trying to understand everything around, the emotional aspect, dealing with doctors in hospitals, making the difficult choices, and just coping with it all. Another thing that we came to realize in working closely with healthcare was that in spite of increased efforts and awareness, the number of cancer-related cases are only increasing. And so, we decided that in our first season, we're going to take on the big C. I'm going to be chatting with cancer survivors from different backgrounds to find out how they dealt with everything that comes with the disease. We want survivors to share their experiences as that could inspire and help others get through a difficult period in their life and also help them understand more about the disease. Well, it's time to introduce our guest on the show, Sanyukta Sharma. Sanyukta Sharma is a journalist and writer based in Mumbai and an ovarian cancer survivor. She has worked in various publications, including the Indian Express, the Helka and the Mint, where she was a film critic for several years and later became the editor of Mint Lounge before going independent as a writer. I thought it'd be really interesting if we start from the beginning. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, something about you. Um, first, thanks so much, Kunal, for having me over. It's it's a pleasure. I think I'm really going to enjoy it because uh, last 20 years I've been a journalist and I'm the one asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> I have all the answers today. So yeah, so we have common ground because... Yeah. <laughs> yes. We both are passionate about the movies, obviously. Yeah. So what what sort of drove you to become a film critic? Yeah. When I started journalism, I sort of gravitated towards the culture beat, the umbrella term culture. So which includes like art and performing arts. And so once I started working in Bombay, so Bollywood is a big place. It's a big thing to report on. And everybody, like the Delhi Bureau, wants lot of stories about movies from Bombay. And I love movies. I've I've watched a lot of movies and ever since childhood and I love to write about. I started as a reporter. I started interviewing people. I reported on the industry. And um it's it's fascinating. And then I started in Mint. I I did my first review. I remember it was it was uh, Vishal Bharadwaj's um Kamine. Not Kamine. Um Omkara. Omkara. Yeah. That's a good one to start with. Yeah. <laughs> so that is a review I wrote. It got great feedback and I realized I can write reviews well. And my editor was like, this is a weekly thing you have to do besides all the other things that you do. And uh, and I got into it. And, uh, you know, it can be torturous sometimes though. Oh, yeah. Most of the time. To, 
subject most yourself to movies that you don't really want to watch totally most of the time i remember watching sajid khan movies and thinking why did i decide to be a critic or the best was uh, this movie called dano why jaane na something it was a movie about uh, homosexuality i mean it was so bad that it was good and you, know, you get to see a lot of those movies if you're a critic every friday and um, yeah but at the same time sometimes you get to watch something very good which you can critique well so yeah it's um it's a great it was a, it's a lovely stint i loved it i loved and you get better and better at being a critic right uh, and mint never gave me a sort of a star system so i didn't have to like give stars i just oh that's to, good yeah you just write about the film I and what write, you feel i just write write a review yeah so i have reviewed this one also love shaf de chikara ah what did you think about that i liked the movie yeah, yeah. especially the end all the yeah. All the Mary madness. Marijuana in the <laughs> chicken gravy. <laughs> yeah, you are really good in it. Yeah. Thank you, thank you so much. So, uh, you know, coming back to uh, cancer. Yeah. When was the first time that you discovered it? And if you can give us, like, were you sick? You know, were, were you feeling you you weren't feeling well? What were the symptoms? Hmm. You know, how did you go about it? When when you first discovered it, what was your first reaction? Yeah. Yeah so 2017 uh, beginning of 2017 is when I quit my job full time job um and now when I look back one of the reasons I quit my job was that I was tired all the time I I kind of felt the tiredness that I'd never felt before but I sort of attributed that to oh, I've been working too hard for right. too long and like there's this rush of deadlines and um you know how it is you live Yeah that's all that's travel. what we all do yeah. we we're always like you know maybe it's just Yeah because we're working too hard and it's too stressful and Yeah so then I thought I'll quit I'll take a break I I need a sabbatical from working so I completely started focusing on health I went to Anju Venkat the new the famous nutritionist and I started juicing and I went on a raw food diet I restarted yoga it seemed like you know like the time I always needed so that continued for a while in August 2017 when I was thinking like like you know like my health was getting better although the tiredness never went away i started developing like very common symptoms like you know a gastric like a bloated stomach after eating i would feel bloated um and i was eating very healthy at that time mm. so i went to a general doctor he prescribed some medicines i came back but it didn't get sorted so after two weeks the doctor asked me to do an ultrasound and my brother who's a doctor said uh, why don't you get a ct scan done also because i had a history of this condition called endometriosis it mm. affects millions of women all over the world it's a inflammatory painful condition related mm. to the lining of a uterus so that's something that i have struggled with uh, with pain but i have had like painkillers hormone treatments and that has been suppressed for a very long so my brother who knew about it said since you have this history go also for a ct scan sure. so It's the CT scan which showed little bit of nodularity. It was nothing mm. major, but my gynecologist said we have to investigate this further. So they asked me to do a blood test, a CA one twenty five blood marker. Mm. That was very high. So they suspected it could be malignant, and I was taken in for surgery. In the surgery itself, it was discovered that it's malignant. So a mm. gynecological oncologist also joined the team, and they performed the surgery. It's called a debulking surgery. It was about like nine hours long, and uh, they managed to remove what they saw, whatever mm. tumor mm. was there. Mm. And um, 
I woke up in the ICU and I was told I had cancer. Um, so before you went into the surgery, uh, they weren't sure whether yeah, it is so or they it told, isn't. Yes, they told me we want to rule out malignancy, so we have right. to do this surgery right. anyway. Because of endometriosis, they would have got a hysterectomy done for me to cure that problem. Uh, in the ICU, I woke up and uh, I came to know that yes, I have uh, ovarian cancer and um, it has been taken out, and I'll have to go in for chemo after I recover from uh, the surgery. That's where it all started. And then, of course, uh, a month later, I started chemotherapy. Mm. I I did six cycles of uh, carboplatin and paclitaxel. It's called carbotaxol. That's like the frontline treatment for ovarian cancer. So I took that. And in January 2018, I finished my chemo cycles and mm. I went into NED stage. Mm. I went into remission. So that's where it kind of all began. And... Um, yeah, so ever since then, it's been um, a journey of healing and uh, struggling with um, a, lo- a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the, the the biggest challenge is, of course, you know, just to accept your diagnosis, make peace with it and to um, not live with the fear of mm-hmm. the recurrence, you know, and that, sure. that is that is a big um, that is a big, big problem which most doctors don't address and they don't mm. have the time to address, you know. So, like my most precious doctor is actually my therapist now. Mm. <laughs> I mm. work with, um, she calls herself an inner life specialist. But yeah, uh, she's great. I mean, she's the person who's, I think, helped me immensely to sort of live with the fact that I had cancer. And So when did you start seeing her? Was it... Uh... Immediately after you were diagnosed or off late? Um, so I think it was like about three, four months after I went into remission. Right. That is the time when you actually slowly go back to normal life, mm. right? You know, you start working, you start going out everywhere, like little normal things come back to you and you're just like back to normal life. And uh, that's when I think it sort of really sinks into you that yes, okay, I have got cured, I have, I have a second life, but I also live with the possibility that the cancer can recur anytime. Mm, mm. And that is uh, very difficult to deal with. Mm. My oncologists, you know, they're great. They're amazing. But that's something they couldn't have addressed because they don't have probably the skill and the time to do it. So I found out about um, a therapist and I started going to her. A friend recommended. And I think my attitude towards my cancer journey sort of took a very, um, what should I say, um, Positive, of course, but also the means to accept it fully and say, okay, it may recur, but you have now and mm. you have to make the most of mm. it. It's it's very easy to say that. Yeah, but sure. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very, very difficult to actually practice it and like mm. to actually believe it and go on with life. But she has helped me immensely with that. So, I mean, I think I would recommend anybody who has gone through cancer to get help for your emotions you know how you feel and uh, it's a time to sort of let go of pent-up regrets bitterness that you have all that helps a lot Mm. and I think yeah I mean I I continue with therapy and it's it's really helped me yeah and besides that I have uh, I have started a lot of alternative therapy I consult with a dietitian Mm. Um, I do mistletoe extract injections that's something that 
sort of was found in Germany and it's it's the most used and most studied alternative cancer therapy in the world mm. so it's yeah it's important to do your research and it's important to i think own your diagnosis not be in denial to own it know what it is all about what your specific cancer is all about and try to get have like a multi-pronged approach to healing. A lot of people may not have the resources, but as much as you can, just look beyond chemotherapy and try to heal yourself in a holistic way. I think that helps. Right. Yeah. Just coming back to this uh, mistletoe th- therapy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how did you discover this and, you know, somebody who is suffering from cancer or has just, you know, recovered from cancer and wants to do the therapy? Yeah. How do they go about this? Right. So I found out about it as just part of this crazy, uh, restless seeking of information that I did. You know how it is. We fall ill and we just Google everything. Right. So I was constantly seeking information. It it, it was very stressful, of course. You know, one shouldn't do that. But yeah, I, I stumbled on a site or a page on the mistletoe. I was reading about Dr. Nasha Winters. Uh, she is one of the world's most well-known holistic integrative oncologists uh, and she herself is a cancer survivor and she was talking about I watched a video where she was talking about mistletoe mistletoe is basically an extract of the mistletoe plant you know like the Christmas mistletoe and it's given as an injection either IV or subcutaneous injection so I started researching in India because a lot of people had benefited from it and I found that there was a doctor right in Bombay his name is Dr. Zubin Marolia and there's one doctor, Sandeep Roy, in Nashik. They're, these are the two most well-known mistletoe therapists uh, in India. I went to Dr. Zubin Marolia. He's also a homeopath. And he put me on mistletoe injections from, I think, around July or August 2018. And I'm continuing that treatment. It definitely helps. I, I don't think it's it's the only thing that you can do. But it definitely helps with your immunity, with... Um, giving you a general sense of well-being, mm. uh, energy. Mm. Um, and it has anti-cancer properties as far mm. as it has been studied. A huge study is going on in John Hopkins University right now and those results are awaited. So, yeah, I would I would definitely suggest people finding out at least about mistletoe. So I with think, this mistletoe therapy, uh, the injections and stuff that you get, the doctor gets it for you or you have to import it yourself? Yeah, you have to import it yourself. Okay. So the doctor gives you somebody who's like a, who can get it for you from Germany. It's a protocol for most cancer patients in Germany, either as an adjunct therapy or some people are just doing that also. But not with much success, I guess, but there are successful stories there also. So you have to get it from Germany. Uh, One box of... Uh, whatever series they give you. So there are various series in the mistletoe injections. So one box with like about seven injections cost around 6,000 bucks. Mm. And you get that and you get us like a, just a simple nurse to just give it to you. And some people can do it on their own. It's basically like taking insulin. It's a mm. subcutaneous injection mm. you do on your, like below your skin. And it's given thrice a week. Right. Yeah. Right. Sounds very interesting, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it is, I think, important to approach it in many different ways and not just rely on one method to get better, right? Absolutely. Uh, Sorry for taking you back there, but what what was your reaction? You said, you know, you were in ICU and you found out that, you know, you had cancer. Yeah. What was your first, do you remember how you first felt? And Mm. Yeah. That time I was actually uh, quite zonked out because of the... (laughs) 
you know, like the sedatives and the painkillers. The doctor came, my surgeon came and uh, he told me, yeah, you have malignancy. I said, um, oh, okay, so that means I have cancer. Uh, he said, yes, you have cancer. Like my heart sank, but I never thought of death. Mm. Um, I thought, okay, so it's another uh, sort of, it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be a long battle. And uh, I was feeling pretty um, scared, but I, I thought I'll get through this. Um, I, I never thought that I'm going to die uh, mm. at that point. I thought, okay, so it's going to be a long, it's a long haul. I have to prepare myself for the long haul. Mm. After I came to the room from the ICU, I didn't really meet uh, my husband or my family that much in the ICU. After I came to the room, I met my husband. That's when I had this emotional churning. I talked to my daughter and I was like, oh God, it is true. It didn't feel like a death penalty, but as I told you, it felt like oh my God, I have such a long, hard road ahead of me. Mm. That's when I came back to recover from the surgery because chemo was going to start a month later. Uh, I came back home and I sort of instinctively wrote a mail to my friends, my close friends all over the world and I to my closest family members. And I said, I have, I'm going through this and I need your help. Just help me out in every way you can. I need your. I need to spend time with you. I need to laugh. I need to be around you all because my primary care caregiver was my husband and he had to do everything right like he's right. he's your primary caregiver he has to be with you uh, not only for your sort of emotional well-being but also for very like practical things like you know taking care of uh, paperwork taking care of when you are going to take your medicine be in touch with doctors so i I asked for help. I asked for, um, I reached out to my friends, my girlfriends just made it so easy. <laughs> yeah. And I wrote about it. I decided to write. I, th I thought, you know, um, and, and of course I reached out to a lot of support groups in India. I didn't find many, but I international, many groups uh, are there. I just like registered there. I, talk to a lot of people who have gone through it because I think the most crucial part there is you, despite the love that you have from everyone around you, mm. you are the cancer patient. You need to be, you need to connect with people who have gone through it. Sure. That's when you feel, okay, I'm not alone. Uh, people right. have gone through it. People are going through it and they are doing it so I can do it too. Uh, right. So I would say, you know, like a lot of... Uh, Strength came from talking to women who are who are going through the same thing as me. And that's why I decided to write. Um, because I, I thought I, I should share it with others, people who have cancer, who don't have cancer for people to know. And uh, I wrote the first piece. A lot of people read it. And I got, you know, so many emails from people um, just asking for some answers, which I didn't have, mm. right? So that's, that's where I think like, you know, a, a therapist a support group, all that come in because treatment and like going into remission and actual healing, there's a wide gap there because sure. cancer is so many things. It's a taboo, it's it's shame, it's, I'm, I'm not saying I have gone through it, most people maybe don't, but uh, the way of looking at cancer, right? Yeah, there so, is still a certain amount of hiding and shame attached to cancer. Absolutely, right? yeah. Um Especially women's cancers, uh, it's like, I mean, I've even met people who, like the mother has had breast cancer, but she wants to hide it because she feels um, the prospects of her daughter's marriage will be My bad God. if 
they know that the family has a history of cancer and re- in reality a lot of women are coping with very very difficult things like i think husbands leave wives when they have a hysterectomy because of cancer or their breasts go because of uh, breast cancer um there are many women who have uh, been abandoned that's terrible so yeah i mean it's very important to share your journey and uh, that's what i mean i'm reporting i'm 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 writing as much as possible about um, you know in all illnesses right mm. in all i mean mental mental health same thing right so um yeah it's it's very important to talk about it i think as much as possible there it's 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 very important to have support groups which are not just about you know i my chemo side effects or you know am i going to live or you know uh, what is the next medicine it's about you know like a support group should have i think much more of counseling right. much more of like just to create an environment where people can talk yeah what exactly they're feeling let people break down let people cry and So how things. did you go about finding these support groups? Tata has a very good one. So okay. I attended one of those because I was reporting on something. Kokilaben Hospital which where I got treated has a support group as well. Uh Indian Cancer Network has a support group and there are various I mean if you google you'll find quite a few uh for ovarian cancer there's a, there's some online groups like there is India Teal Warriors which is for ovarian cancer. these groups are there but they're they're not that active mm. and then they don't have that many experts or um usually they're like one or two people who are trying to do everything sure so you suggest going to a hospital and registering in one of these support groups and then that would attending. definitely help i think that should be actually made mandatory i feel you know like attending the support group meetings is very important mm. because as i said you know your family support is amazing but being with people who have gone through it and talking about it sharing each other's um, journeys you learn a lot you find ways to cope with it much better right also i wanted to understand you know you mentioned that your primary caregiver was was your husband to begin with yes uh, how did how did they deal with it your family you know mm. your daughter yeah. maybe your in-laws mm. uh, how did they all come together how did they deal with it what was their first sort of reaction mm. when they found out i mean i'm sure everyone reacted in a whole different way absolutely yeah so um yeah my husband and i um we are a nuclear family here my in-laws are in another city um so my husband had to deal with like the fact that a sense of normalcy has to go on in terms of my daughter who has to go to school mm. um and also deal with doctors and m- like my emotional state uh so i think in the first 3 months he just went around went about it just like doing things right mm. we didn't have mm. time to sort of take stock sit down and talk about it right. we've had outbursts and we've had a sort of we have broken down and all that has happened but at that time it was just like getting things done i think it's impo- really important for the caregivers to also get counseling mm. because first of all you're seeing your so closest person go through pain and you as a family are dealing with this diagnosis and everybody is sort of calling up and checking and in a way that it's oh it's such a big deal it mm. is a big deal mm. so to process all that stress and the grief and and like the overwhelming thing of okay but at the same time you have to keep positive mm. my husband is a he's a filmmaker but he's also a sports person he's he, play, he has played tennis from very young age i think that being a sports person has really helped him mm. deal with it he as he said it's like a 
match you either lose it or you win it mm. and and i am just visualizing just winning it mm. and we have to win this and uh, yeah he kept me going he also of course has gone through a lot emotionally and mentally uh, because life stops for you at the time and you know he had to stop working because we are a nuclear family and you know your parents come your uh, family come but like they also have their life we have to gather ourselves and we have to go on so our lives stopped for one year almost uh, so yeah that's that's tough and then you pick up your pieces and you go back and uh, my daughter she's uh, she was uh, five and a half when my diagnosis first diagnosis happened she acted out in school she was very stressed she mm. was um, um and, and things like her mom just going bald was a big thing for her like um, right. she couldn't accept it initially but i prepared her we prepared her as much as possible the most important thing i think with children is to be truthful mm. you know you can't just keep them Uh, said on we will not tell her anything and we will just like keep everything like soft and they're so fragile they are fragile like you have to work with them like make them understand what's going on without saying the word cancer i think i've told her everything that mm. you know i'll lose my hair it's i'm going to have to take a lot of rest i won't be able to come for your school or things or i won't be able to accompany you for play dates or whatever for a long time i'll have to take rest but i'll be okay again it's a work in progress because any time i have a even like i sneeze for sometimes she gets worried mm-hmm. but along with the family i think we didn't fuss about it too much and we tried to keep a sense of normalcy going uh, thankfully chemotherapy was not that bad for me i hurt so much that it's going to be so bad you'll be so terrible you'll just vomit and you'll be like flat on the bed nothing of that sort at all doctors give you a lot of good medicines to counter side effects so kept the normalcy going for my kid and she's doing okay i mean she's she's all right but uh, we keep the conversation going and the family has gone through it she's part of the family and she she has to go through it she's grown up i think more than i would have liked uh in these last two years but yeah she's a very brave child she's adventurous and she's helping me now yeah so that's lovely <laughs> yeah but are there any uh, support groups for families there not, should be yeah and not that i'm aware of right um, i think that's really important because the family actually goes through as not as much of course yeah. but is also you know yeah on the journey with you so it's yeah. important for them to my get my husband and i have gone for like to my therapist together also right that really helped not that i'm aware of but i'm i agree with you and it's really important for the at least the primary caregiver to go through some counseling right right and he or she doesn't get the attention the patient gets gets all the attention yeah but i think they deserve also a lot of support and a lot of pampering mm. also uh, you know when you were going through the chemotherapy mm. were there any sort of changes that you made that made it easier to go through the chemotherapy like maybe diet or uh, you know there's a lot of confusion about what you should eat what you shouldn't eat yeah uh, you know there's multiple views about that and i think people end up getting more stressed because there's so many different sort of point of views about you know what you should do and shouldn't do yeah is there something in particular that helped you through that mm. i don't think so it was just bad yeah. <laughs> but yeah but um, i mean i ate healthy i ate just normal home food uh, avoiding like the most obvious things that dietitians tell you like for any any sort of uh, and for anybody who wants to be healthy is uh, you know like cut out refined sugar completely 
focus on good proteins, clean food, you know, fresh seasonal food cooked at home without too much of spice and oil and all that. Uh, I and during chemotherapy, of course, my doctors insisted I don't eat anything raw. Right. Why uh, was that? Because raw because food you might catch an might infection. Be, yeah, stuff. might be uh, dirty, might be unhygienic, and you may catch an infection because your immunity is compromised because chemotherapy sort of destroys your WBC cells. So your WBC comes down. So your body is not in a position to fight infections. Right. Yeah. During chemotherapy, I actually ate as much healthy food, as much nutritious food as possible cooked at home. Uh, but later on, I went dietitian and I kind of avoid a lot of foods. Mm. And I, I have included a lot of things like I include things like moringa powder, wheat grass, mm. turmeric. So there are certain things I, I sort of make sure I eat and I avoid refined sugar. I avoid refined carbohydrates. Mm. I avoid processed food. So, yeah, so all that milk I avoid because um, it's not really suiting me. So, yeah, it's important to, after finishing chemotherapy, once you are, are going back to your normal routine of work and everything, it's important to keep up your, like, sort of uh, good eating habits. Mm. And I think it's, it's, I mean, if you can, if you have the resources to do it, just go to a good dietitian. Mm. There are many dietitians who specialize in a sort of in giving you a diet, plan, diet for, plan for keeping you in mind. And it's it's good to follow that, I think, you know. Right. Um, I am a big follower of Luke Coutinho. Ah, Luke is really good. Yeah. But uh, uh, also a lot of people that, not just cancer, but when we fall sick, mm. you know, the first thing we turn to is Google. Yeah. And then it gives you all these like different things about do's and don'ts yeah. and should and shouldn't and possibilities. Yeah. Uh, is there something that you suggest that people should not do? Mm. Uh, you know, when they're going through uh, fighting the disease or they're going yeah. through chemotherapy, is there something that you shouldn't do? Mm. Like you were told, avoid doing this at all. Yeah. Um, not my doctors, but from my own experience, I mean, I think we Google a lot. Mm. It's uh, it's the age we live in, right? We are restlessly seeking more information, more and more information in everything. So, uh, yeah, a lot of miracle cures. You know, you'll be bombarded with alternative uh, medicine, you'll be bombarded with this cures cancer, that cures cancer. And when you're going through chemotherapy and you're coming to terms with a cancer diagnosis, you're very vulnerable to these things. Mm. You want to, okay, why not try it out? Mm. You know, let me just do everything I can, do all kinds of therapies possible to, so that, uh, you know, I, I I don't have a chance of recurrence or whatever. Uh, but that's a really bad idea. I mm. mean, you, you have to be a really focused and... You have to know what you can sustain and what you can afford, what you can sustain and do that. And if you bombard your body, your body is already weak. If you're bombarding your body with like 10 different things, I don't think your body is going to absorb it uh, and it's not going to really help you. But if you if you focus on, say, two things, say, you know, there's a there's a specialist or there's a good expert who you can go to and who you have the means to go to or whatever and you continue that with him, sustain that with him. I think that's more helpful than trying lots of things by mm. hearsay. And because at that time you are vulnerable, you sure. want to try sure. everything. You want to say, okay, why not try this? This person has got healed. And there's a huge market out there, you know, who are making money out of just telling you that we can cure your cancer. Mm. Don't believe them. Mm. You know, it. it's... it's yeah, I know. I mean, yeah. like, I, I know somebody who was in 
suffering from cancer and somebody said you know there's a ayurved in gujarat you should yeah. go and see him mm. and then someone said that you should try this homeopath in you know ahmedabad somebody yeah. said you should try somebody from kerala so there is so much multiple information and you're right when you're vulnerable yeah you feel like there's nothing lost in trying yeah. something like this but there is a danger like you're saying there is a danger is your body is weak anyways and yeah. you know you're going through all this yeah. and then you're bombarding the body with different things which can be terrible yeah i think i think choose one or two kind of therapies or specialists it all it's also important how you interact with the person who's treating you hmm. uh do you have a rapport with them can you talk everything can you talk about what you're feeling what you're experiencing bodily mentally and then you know uh, develop a relationship with that person and continue a treatment i think trust is also important sure. uh sure. you trust somebody and you work with that person and go ahead with it that that's much more important than okay i mean i'll try cow's urine i'll try sure. you know some mexican herb i'll try this i'll try that and I, that i i would say it doesn't work that puts pressure on the body right and is there anything that you would do differently in hindsight i probably would spend much more time with myself and with uh, i mean i i got i got back to normal life and routine pretty fast mm. okay mm. uh i probably would take more time to heal i mean you are a your yourself i think like the biggest instrument for your own healing you're taking help from various people mm. but to sit with yourself uh try to feel like every little thing you're feeling in your body and your mind i think i think that sort of that breakthrough comes when you realize that a lot of it it is in your hands and you have to mm. spend time with yourself and know yourself better what you want you right. know like right. how you want to heal do you want to heal um, by just like you know just going back to traveling do you want to just like go back to what was normal for you or you want to like ask yourself do i want the same deadlines the same pressures the same stresses and go on with this life i had or not um i i think i i wanted to go back immediately but i took a step back and and i think that helped me a lot i think and, i think that's also because you feel like if you go back to your normal life the life that you had yeah you will feel like everything's okay yeah uh yeah. you know as soon as you're back to work and you're back doing the things that yeah. you were doing you feel like now everything is okay because i'm back to the same routine Yeah. But what you're suggesting is actually don't do that. Don't do that very fast. Mm. Um I think cancer is like a it, it's a knock of mortality, right? Mm. It's uh, it's like you become aware of your own mortality very intensely. So it's important to process that and ask yourself um okay, I I am healing, but at the same time do I want um my time to be spent on what I did before or are there any things I want to do and I want to do that now? Mm. I think if you find that like I can have a different path and I want to have a different path and you go on that I think that's that really accelerates your healing. Mm. It gives you a like sort of a different new purpose to mm. go on. Right. And uh, right. I think that's really important. I don't know it it has been like that for me. So I see I see my priorities have changed, you know, and I've I've done one thing a lot in life you know which is just like be efficient work for an organization deliver on deadlines and but i think that's over now i mm. want to work on my own pace mm. and i want to spend a lot of time with my daughter and mm. be more instrumental in her development and i'm writing two books and you know in my own time and 
not like sort of just go after money and right right <laughs> that much now yeah also when you first discovered that you know before you found out it was cancer as well did you go to like multiple doctors get like advice from multiple doctors or even after you found out did you like take a second opinion or not hmm yeah i think it's important to take a second opinion although at that time i didn't do it um i um my doctors went kokilaben hospital so dr yogesh kulkarni was my surgeon so he is a specialist in the sense that i was lucky to be in that hospital because uh, he is one of the few gynecological oncology surgeons it's a specialized area and there are not many in indian cities yet usually like a gynecological cancer is operated upon by a regular oncology surgeon but i got dr kulkarni he's a specialist and i think the surgery is really really important in cancer right uh, so you know like the outcome your prognosis is dependent on if a good surgery can be done you right know? uh so that happened in my case i was lucky so i was very happy with my doctors and my medical oncologist dr sevanti lemai she's remarkably good and so i didn't take a second opinion then although i think it wouldn't have hurt you you should you should always take it but i i have taken it uh now uh when i had a sort of like a minor recurrence i had to go for a surgery again to remove it that's when i took a consultation at md anderson in uh, houston mm. texas so it's one of the like sort of the leading hubs of ovarian cancer research in the world and i took an opinion from them and there and uh, my doctor sort of consulted and i'm getting some tests done i i mean i can share what they tell me also so basically like genetic testing is very important in terms of treatment right so a lot of companies in india are doing genetic testing so genetic profiling of your tumor and accordingly whatever genes are mutated hmm. accordingly therapy can be given to you there are drugs which are available in the market which can be given to you so a very common genetic test that is done for breast cancer as well as ovarian cancer is the braca1 and braca2 tests but md anderson asked me to do the entire panel of which braca1 and 2 are is like a part uh, it's called the homologous read combination deficiency hrd panel and they check for a lot of gene mutations there and if you have some mutations in one of the genes there there is a new drug that can be given to you which has been launched in india as well it's called olaparib it's a nice. parp inhibitor drug mm. so i'm in the process of uh, finding a maintenance uh, drug for me maintenance mm. pill for me so it's it's a test that is not done in india yet but i'm sure they'll start it very soon but there is some diagnostic uh, centers in india who tie up with american centers and like gen- genetic testing centers and they do the test uh, it's an expensive test but i think prices will come down but it's important to ask your doctors about these tests that's why i shared it anybody who's going through ovarian cancer can ask about the hrd panel testing about msi about 409 panel just ask about genome profiling ask can my tumor be profiled for genetic mutations and can drugs be given um i mean i'm sure the doctors will tell you themselves but you you ask also like that way you own your own diagnosis right. and you mm. ask the questions and it's uh, always good to know and you explore like all kinds of possibilities of you know treatment and and, ma- and a maintenance drug is very important because uh, it keeps at least recurrence in check you know at least your progression free survival can be longer and uh, so when you say the maintenance drug What sort of drug is this? So it's a pill. 
Right. Uh, so it's a pill that you take every day. And it's just one? It's 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 one for I think ovarian cancer now for those women who qualify for the drug everybody's not so that's why it's important to get those tests done if you have a mutation in the hrd panel hmm. then you qualify for taking this drug hmm. uh, there's some kind of ovarian cancers and breast cancer which are hormone sensitive so you're given a estrogen blocker so there are maintenance pills for various kinds of cancers i'm sure i'm sure not all because i'm i'm not an expert on all cancers but yeah it's it's very important to ask the doctor can i right. be on a maintenance do i need to get some tests done for qualifying for a maintenance pill or some other treatment it's important to do three four good things and sustain that right and also i think it's important to get another opinion because like you said you know doctors have limited amount of time yeah uh, not that they're not trying their best of course mm. they are but there is a limited amount of time and there might be something that sort of slips their attention and you know somebody else might point that out Yeah. Uh so if you get a second opinion mm. maybe somebody suggests these tests and stuff. Yes. Uh which is very very important. Absolutely. And it, once you have a cancer diagnosis wherever you're treated I think an opinion from Tata is paramount. It's it's really the best in terms of the quality of doctors, kind of experience they have. They treat patients from all over the country, all ages, all kinds of people and they are so good they're so i mean they are up to date with their information and they are you go to tata it's a pretty scary place it's crowded you have to yeah. wait for doctors but it's still amazing you should uh, one should get a opinion from tata and if possible like experts from anywhere in the world which who are specialists in your kind of cancer and you can reach out to these experts online and stuff as well some you can hmm. some you can't but you just need to do that research and find out md anderson for example i got my pathology reviewed there as well uh yeah they they prefer the patient to come over there hmm. but if you know somebody there and i mean it's possible to do it you just have to have the the right amount of research to do it i guess so also i wanted to ask you was that is there any book that you read that really sort of helped you yeah uh, with information Mm. or uh, you know helped you and had a influence on you which was positive yeah i read a lot of books one book that helped me is uh, called the longevity diet by mm. walter lango he is uh, a professor i'm forgetting the name of the university in california who uh, formulated this diet which include it's called the longevity diet but it's also great for cancer it's um, basically about fasting it's uh, it's about intermittent fasting and certain kinds of food which are very important to maintain good health it's a book where he's interviewed lots of people and years of research and he has got a great style of writing so i love that book i didn't really go into any kind of self help kind of books mm. that many i also read you can heal your life by louise hay she and i also attended a workshop a heal your life workshop she has this foundation called heal your life uh i think yeah she was she's she was a cancer survivor herself and that's again works in the emotional and mental space mm. how you can take charge and you can be your own instrument of healing besides these two books i i didn't really read any books related to how to deal with cancer no not really i tried to figure out my own ways and yeah trusting my doctors and just meeting as i told you i mean just meeting people who have had it right uh, that was That yeah. was according to you one of the most important thing most is to reach important. out to a 
support group yeah or just or just people who have experienced this your kind of cancer and like hearing from them because after all i mean cancer is not something that's it's not a disease that has a cure it it's not a disease that has been fully understood right mm. if it was fully understood and there was a cure for it um it would be treated like say tb or any other those kind of diseases scientists are still struggling with how to treat you so there's a lot of mystery out there there's no virus coming into your body and affecting you and they have an infection mm. your own body cells have gone against you if you read siddhartha mukherjee's emperor of all maladies that's a book i've read but long before i got cancer that book says it all right it's uh, it's your own i mean why those cells have how that switch has happened why exactly did it happen it's still a, it's i mean i don't think doctors know it doctors don't know the full story at all uh they're still trying to figure it out there a lot of it is in the dark so it's it's important to sort of gather information from people who have gone through it from your doctors you gather what you have and finally you sort of apply what you think will work that's why you need the time also i think to process everything and to find what's best for you hmm. and there is a like a very fine line between i think accepting and owning your diagnosis and then healing it's uh, it's a mm. fine line it's it's not the same thing so mm. one has to figure out how to do that i'm still finding ways right. to do it it's <laughs> it's a it's a work in progress i mean i i know it's difficult to narrow it down to one thing but was there one sort of piece of advice that you got which really sort of stayed with you you know maybe something that somebody said in a support group or mm. something someone said to you I know yeah. it's it's hard to sort of narrow yeah, it down to Yeah not one thing but I kind of um a lot of people's uh I don't know prejudices just sort of became very obvious to me I mean it's pretty hilarious also some of the things <laughs> that happens when you are bald you have that cancer look you know you're bald and you're pale and you don't have eyebrows and you go to sort of just drop your kid to the bus stop and your neighbor would like very sweetly say wow you're so brave mm-hmm. i mean okay it's you do you have to take that brave uh, with a pinch of salt no you're not brave you're you're going through shit but yeah simple things like that it sort of made me laugh and an aunt who i have not been in touch with she just called me and she said oh you know yeah just fight fight you know you you have to fight it and it's understandable you didn't have biological children so obviously you know you are more at risk so to get ovarian cancer or breast cancer so i guess it's not just a, such a shock for you i was pretty like was that uh, yeah. meant to feel make you feel good or make you feel i don't know i i i guess she meant meant it as an advice or something but it backfired you know uh, and um Yeah so you laugh at it and these these kind of reactions i sort of uh took and um, and i want to sort of write about it and i want to say no it's not so much of mystification it's mm. it's a disease it's not a death sentence or it's not it's not like we are the most courageous people mm. because we are dealing with cancer no we are not um there are many people who are struggling with various other things and this whole sort of military sort of way 
association with fighting cancer mm. i hate that mm. uh you know because uh, if anything you have to be gentle with your body mm. because it's your body inside you i mean it's not like a virus has entered and where you have to fight that virus and you have to like get no it's you have to heal your own cells your own organs and your own insides you can't be militant about mm. it you have to be gentle you have to look inside you have to introspect and people are dealing with mental illness with um, you know and with blindness with disability with so many things you know like they are equally courageous equally True. brave True. i can't pinpoint one thing that somebody said to me but yeah various things i i think like talking to women who have gone through it and my biggest inspiration are women who are living with cancer with chronic cancer and they're still trying to do things which mm. are meaningful there are many people like that who are doing that as i said it's it's a work yeah. in progress yeah. and <laughs> and is there any sort of advice you would give somebody that's that's battling the same thing like mm. battling cancer or yeah. is just discovered that they have cancer or is in remission now mm. uh, is there some sort of advice you think that you could give them yeah first of all being in denial is um, a lot of people are in denial about the implications of cancer um a lot of people hide it a lot of people have some shame attached to it i think the most important thing is to own it own your own cancer mm. embrace it and say okay i've got it and you know i'll i'll do find out the knowledge is power you find out as much as possible about your cancer from the right sources and do the best you can and then like just sort of i think enjoy your time when you're free from cancer mm. and having a recurrence doesn't mean it's the end and you know you may have a recurrence but it's important not to be able to to be able to not live in that fear mm. so it's important to seek help get the right help for for your emotional well-being for your feelings for besides the pill and the chemotherapy that you've gone through so owning your diagnosis embracing it and not make it a military kind of fighting war against yourself accept and try to get as much help as possible and and to talk about it really it's a disease yeah you know it's just a disease at the end of yeah it. like you said i mean yeah. reaching out to your friends family yeah that was such a That big is, help for you and there's some yeah. people that that like you're saying are even ashamed to come out and say they have cancer yeah forget reaching out to people yes that shame needs to really go mm. one thing that a lot of our celebrities including sonali mendre who's who's done it so wonderfully um irfan khan the bollywood celebrities and others you know who have talked about cancer one thing that has done is sort of just make it normalize it as just another disease yes you go through extreme physical changes you know losing all your hair especially if you're a woman is 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 extremely difficult i experienced waves of pain after i lost my hair and i became bald but uh yeah so it's important to talk about it i mean people who have cancer who don't have cancer share what you're going through i mean you don't have to hide and you don't have to say oh my god i should just like be inside in my house and you you know just like i'll do this fight alone and that doesn't help at all more and more people need to know what cancer is all about and the fact that there are treatments there you know many more many people are living with cancer for much longer now 
Yeah. I sound like a Buddha, but yeah, I'm not. I'm also a work in progress. I'm trying to figure out things all the time. So no, but it's it's really <laughs> nice that you've you know chosen to write about it, talk about it, yeah. because like you're saying, is that there is a shame attached to it, mm. and the more people come forward and talk about it, and there's so much misinformation. Yeah. There's so much uh, excess information. So you know, people get really sort of stressed and confused about how to go about this. And I think yeah. it's really important that people that have fought cancer or people that are still fighting cancer talk yeah. about it. Yeah, absolutely. Very important. Ask your doctor lots of questions. Doctors also, they don't know everything. Hmm. But push them to think for you more. Push them to find out because they are in touch with everything that's happening. They can help you. They can come up with options for you if you push them. Hmm. Not just, okay, I took chemotherapy now, you know, it's still not gone, so I'm like doomed. No, you know, there's another doctor. There's another opinion. It's there. You just have to also ask the doctor enough to be able to know that, you know, the doctor should know that, okay, I have to do a little mm. more work. Mm. So that's what I mean by owning your diagnosis and looking for more answers. Right. Be in touch with your doctor. If they don't respond, call them again, you know. Badger them. That comes naturally to me. I'm a journalist. But <laughs> yeah. So in touch with your doctors and in touch with yourself. Yeah. I think yeah. that's important. Yeah, true. You also mentioned that you're writing two books. Uh, can you tell us about those books? Yeah. So one is a book about yoga. It's about uh, Guru B.K. Sainger and Patabi Jaws, the two sort of modern yoga gurus of India and they, how, wow. they took, yeah, how they took yoga to the world. And in the process, also talk about the yoga establishment in India, the problems there, the, the great things there. So that's fully reported journalistic kind of book. And one is a kind of a memoir. I have sort of tentatively titled it Memories of the Body. It's about growing up in India and how sort of society, social pressures and all that influence your body image and health. Mm. And uh, that's a memoir with a little bit of reporting. So those two books. Are, and when are, are these books out? Are they out anytime soon? Yeah, That's so. always a, <laughs> it's always a so I've been difficult given, question to answer. Yeah, I've been given a deadline of like one year from the time I signed. So that's, that immediately that's puts me, uh, no, no, the, the, my first reaction was a deadline one year from now. Like, I can't even believe it. Like, I'm a journalist. I'm used to working like <laughs> short deadlines. But yes, I guess next year sometime. Next year. So both the books out next year? Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that, you know, there is a lot of alternate therapies. Mm. But you said that, you know, you zeroed down on the mistletoe therapy. Yeah. What was it about this particular therapy that you mm. thought was a good one in all the alternate ones that you had seen? Yeah. I think I studied uh, mistletoe and I came to know that uh, and although it's not a cure, it's not like some miracle thing that will just make your cancer go away and never come back. Uh, it's um, it's the most widely used alternative therapy in the world. And there's a study that's currently on at John Hopkins. And there's some, I got in touch with Dr. Nasha Winters, who's a practitioner. Right. And I met Dr. Zubin Marolia here in Bombay. And I liked meeting him. So I developed a rapport with him over a month or so, month or two months. And I felt I could trust him mm. and I could, you know, go ahead with it. So the, the personal sort of rapport was also important to me, plus backed by the research I had done about mistletoe. Besides that, um, in terms of alternative therapy, I did find out about 
What else? Tibetan medicine is there in India. A lot of people go to Dharamshala for Tibetan medicines. Right. I just decided to focus on mistletoe. one thing. Yeah, one thing. And I was doing yoga. <clears throat> yoga meditation, of course, I do. Hmm. That's something I was not unfamiliar with, but I have sort of made it more intense now. And yeah, yoga, meditation, um, vipassana, I do vipassana and um, mistletoe, plus a good diet. You know, ever since you've uh, you've recovered, have you have you gone traveling? Have you left the city? Have, and yeah. uh, is it like, is there something in particular, like some precaution that you have to take? Or have you gone with the family? Have you traveled with the family? Yeah, yeah. Uh, once, uh, once you are in remission, yeah. uh, what you do is you monitor. So every three months I have to go through a ultrasound or a scan and a blood test. So your doctor will tell you exactly what you need to do. It will differ from cancer to cancer, person to person. So you keep monitoring it and... Other than that, you're free to do anything you want, basically. So, yeah, I have traveled. Your immunity is a bit compromised after you've gone through chemotherapy. So mm. you have to be a little careful about what you're eating. And mm. But besides that, um, nothing really. I mean, you just do whatever the hell you want. It's You go whatever, wherever you want. In fact, I think you should travel more. Who knows tomorrow if there's a recurrence, you'll be again confined for some time. So I try to make the most of every day. Every possibility and chance I have to travel, I want to travel. So the idea is to obviously, you know, do all the things that you want to do and not stop yourself from doing any of those yeah, things, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if there if there's something that you should be careful about, it's your doctor who will tell you. My doctor said nothing. I mean you just Do what you have to do. Do what you have to do and just keep monitoring. So because of the monitoring, like my recurrence could be uh, detected very early. Right. A surgery could uh, take care of it. Now I'm looking forward to the to the maintenance uh, medicine, which I'm hoping will come through when I can be on a maintenance bill. Right. So for you, I think what you're saying is the most important thing is to constantly monitor this. Yes. Because absolutely. some people stop doing that. No, you cannot stop it. At least for the first five years, you have to. Right. Yeah. And and that also sort of helps you catch a recurrence very early. Mm. And that's important to sort of treat it then, you know, mm. like you can treat it and be ahead of what could possibly be like a life-threatening sure. situation. So, yeah, monitoring is really important. But as long as you're doing that and whatever medicines, I think you can do anything you want just mm. because you've had cancer. I know people who, while having cancer, has traveled because... Some cancers are chronic. Right. But they say they have some chemo or some medication and then they have a break and, and they travel. They're doing things and I think that's what the battle is. But although I don't want to say it's a battle, it's just accepting, embracing and mm. make the best of what you have. Oh, at so, the moment. Yeah, at the moment, yeah. So uh, one thing I'd like to ask you is that there is obviously a tremendous amount of progress that's happened. Yeah. Uh, there are support groups and, you know, there's great doctors and mm. there's alternate therapies and stuff. But is there something that you feel like needs to change? Uh, something that could be done in a way that is much better than it's being done right now? I think in terms of uh, research, all the research that's happening is happening outside of India right now. Except for Tata and a couple of other places uh, which does clinical trials. There are no clinical trials in India, really. I mean, to in a large scale. Scientific research, I think there's so much more to be done in India. I mean, you know, our doctors are looking at the US. Of course, that's where the money is. That's where the pharma companies are sort of 
fueling a lot of things. And the second thing I think is uh, in terms of sharing information with patients. Mm. Doctors can be much more forthright. Doctors can can be much more patient with uh, with you, and I think they can they can try and explain much more. I'm not I'm not talking about my doctors here. My, I I didn't actually give them any choice. I kept on asking them a lot of questions. But usually, what happens is that okay, they have come from a smaller place. Okay, they don't really know much. They're not asking much. You just say, "Ha, ye ab dawai le lijiye, bas apka treatment ho gaya, ab chale jaiye." Uske baad test karate rahiye. So these people don't know actually what's going on. What's going on in their body, right. and it sort of takes the power away from the person who's going. going through cancer if you know if you have the information and the knowledge of exactly what's happening in your body every human being will have their own mechanism of trying mm. to heal themselves mm. you know it could be traditional something it could be prayers it could be visualization it could be something i don't know so each person will eventually try and figure out a way to heal themselves that power is taken away by the medical establishment usually just by not sharing being patronizing saying that oh we know everything you're the patient ye karo bas khatam mm. mm. no you explain what is going on you need to empower you know, them with information you, yes right. information hope and be open to listen to them if you tell a medical oncologist or any oncologist about some alternative therapy you're doing they will just like dismiss, dismiss it. it they're like okay mm okay i mean try it so the idea of like integrative uh, right. healing is something that doctors are very averse to at least thank you should hear it out try to f- find out that there's someone else is trying to also do the same thing that you are doing so yeah i think much more communication with patients empowering patients and scientific research is like it's of course not enough that needs to change and as i said the shame the shame and the hiding i think if that goes uh, it'll help families who are going through it people who are going through it uh to sort of accept it better to sort of hmm. normalize it better and it'll help right overall yeah thank you so much uh, sanyukta for coming on the show and sharing all your experiences i think this is going to be really really valuable for everybody that's listening out there thank you so much for listening and we'll be back soon with a new episode you can catch podcast md by keto on all the major platforms like apple podcast spotify google podcast jio savan and hub hopper you can also find it on eplog.media our production partner please send us your feedback on twitter using hashtag #podcastmdketo leave us a review rating on itunes and make sure you subscribe to the show goodbye thank you